Welcome to Truth Hub with your host, Daniel Minnick, viewing the world through the Word. Well, welcome back again to the Truth Hub podcast. Uh, this is your host, Daniel Minnick, and uh, we are continuing our series on foundations. And the first foundation that we're looking at is the foundation of Christology, the, the foundation of, of the Trinity, and who is Jesus Christ. And if we remember back to our last two episodes, we were talking about uh, defining the Trinity. It, it is... Uh, God is one being and three persons. These three persons are co-equal and co-eternal, and they all share the one divine being that is God. We also looked at the foundation of monotheism, that there is only one God worthy of worship, and how this is distinguished from other forms, other religions, and also uh, Trinitarian monotheism, how this is distinguished in the aspect of worship from uh, Unitarian monotheism. I call Trinitarian monotheism biblical monotheism because, if, as we remember uh, from the last episode, we mentioned Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. Sola Scriptura is uh, that Scripture alone is our authority for uh, our rules and practice of our religion, but we also need to keep in mind Tota Scriptura, that all of Scripture is relevant. Some people uh, hold on to Sola Scriptura, and they'll look at certain verses to prove their point, but unless you keep in mind all of Scripture, and that all of Scripture must harmonize, you are not... Uh, holding the Bible in its entirety as your standard for rule and practice. Now, I believe that when you look at all of Scripture and you harmonize all of Scripture, this forces you to a Trinitarian conclusion. No one came up with the Trinity in a vacuum, thought up the idea that God is one being and three persons, and then decided, hey, why don't I look at the Scriptures and see if it proves this position? No, no one would ever do such a thing. The Trinity, the Trinity was derived from looking at all of Scripture and seeing that it forces you to that conclusion. Uh, we also looked at henotheism, a form of Unitarianism that recognizes that there is one uh, highest God worthy of the highest form of worship, whatever that is, and then that there are possibly lesser gods that exist that are worthy of some lesser form of worship. And we saw how this complicates worship and makes following the Bible and worshiping the Son difficult to determine because we see that there is a Father and a Son listed in scripture and that the son must be worshipped he said he was to be worshipped the writers of the new testament the apostles also ascribed worship to him and were supposed to honor the son even as we honor the father and in the last episode we looked at a clip of a debate where we saw how this was complicated and that um, the henotheistic unitarians who believe that jesus christ was just a man uh, they they couldn't explain very well how they could worship him as he was shown to be worshipped with the one who sat, sits on the throne in Revelation chapter 5 um, in the way that it prescribed that he be worshipped. It, it was very difficult to pin them down. It was like trying to nail jello to the wall. But um, 
I would like to mention uh, another event of, of personal experience and passing here with the same issue of worship. Uh, I Some of you might know uh, that I wrote a book called Freedom to Give, the Biblical Truth About Tithing, and perhaps maybe at this point, unless you've read that book, you might uh, want to call me a heretic for how I, what I wrote about, but this book basically proved from the Bible that, uh, tithing was not for today and that what is taught as tithing for today is not what the Bible teaches. But I was having, uh, uh my first book signing, um, for this event and then, uh, one, uh, a distant family member whose name is, uh, Lester Birch, he, he, uh, was invited to this book signing and he came up and, I basically spent half the book signing time debating the Trinity with him. He was in the process of writing his own book. He had questions about uh, book writing, book publishing. And then he uh, told me that one of the topics he was writing about, that it was not in the Bible, is the Trinity. So naturally that, that piqued my interest. And so we were uh, discussing that out. We were hashing and we were debating. And then... Um, Eventually, it came to the topic of worship, and then I asked him, uh, how do you distinguish between the worship due to a creature and the worship due to the Creator? I had mentioned Revelation chapter 5, the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb received the same worship from every creature that exists, and I asked him that question. He paused for a little bit, and then he tried to divert the topic away from that question, which I thought was pretty interesting, you know, because idolatry is is looked at in the Bible with disdain in the Israelites, as we saw. They were uh, cast out of their land. They were taken captive, and, and God said, thou shalt not have any other gods before me? And so idolatry is a very serious sin, and yet we're told to worship the Son as we worship the Father. We see that happening in the Bible, but those who regard the Son of God as a lesser creator a lesser creature and he's worthy of worship but somehow we have to worship the father more than he and how do we do that we just don't know um but what i want to get into that with this podcast is um noticing how the son reflects the father and how the son uh could be what people saw when they said that they saw God in the Old Testament. Now, I want to look at a few verses here that God himself, or Yahweh, the Lord, tells the people of Israel that no one can see him. We see in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, And he, God said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. So you can't see God directly. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 19. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And then said on, they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. For they, they knew that they couldn't see God and live. They saw the glory, but they knew if they saw God directly, they would die. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 12, And the Lord, Yahweh, spoke unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but ye saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. So they, at this time, they heard a voice uh, coming from God, and I don't believe for a minute that God has a particular voice with uh, physical characteristics. He, he, he'll use whatever voice he wants at the time, but they heard a voice, but they didn't see him. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16 says, uh, speaking of God, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to him to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So God dwells in light which no one can come to and no one has seen. That's interesting. At, at this late stage in uh, the writing of scripture, he also says, the apostle Paul says that no one at this time has ever seen God. The Apostle John says in 1 John 4.12, No man hath seen God at any time. He also says in his Gospel, John chapter 1 verse 18, the same words, No man hath seen God at any time. He says in 1 John 4.20, If a man say, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So no one has seen God, but you can see the people he's created. You can love someone you've seen, but you have to love a God that you have not seen. The Gospel of John, continuing chapter 6 and verse 45 through 46, Jesus is talking to the people who were, who he fed, and he says, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. So he's talking about himself. He is the one which is of God, and he only, the Son, has seen the Father, but not that any man hath seen the Father. Only the God-man has seen the Father. Earlier in, in John chapter 5, verses 37 through 39, he says, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, Jesus, hath borne witness of me, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Now, uh, the, we know that the Israelites, uh, as previously mentioned, they heard a voice, but they didn't see God. Uh, in this uh, era of lack of revelation, we had the intertestamental period between uh, Malachi and now the revelation of Jesus Christ, the incarnate one. These people who are living in darkness, they they. They had never seen any manifestation of God, nor had they ever heard the voice of the Father at any time, nor seen his shape. But Jesus says, and I think this is the reason why, he says, And ye have not heard his word abiding in you, ye do not have his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. He's talking about himself. They don't, they don't believe the one who sent him, so they don't have the word of the Father abiding in them. 
Now he says, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So the scriptures that these Jews relied upon for their salvation, they testified of Jesus. And I think that we will see that they testify of Jesus more than meets the eye. So we've seen a bunch of scriptures here from the New Testament writers and even uh, seeing accounts in the Old Testament that says God specifically tells them, you cannot see me and live. And that no one has ever seen God. But then how do we uh, reconcile them with these scriptures that I'm going to show you? We see that uh, the scriptures clearly proclaim that people did see God. They saw Yahweh. We look at the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, here we have the temple vision. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried one another and said, Holy, holy, holy. Interesting, you have three holies there, but that's another subject there. Well, kind of. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, or Yahweh, of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Exodus uh, chapter 24... In verse 9, 10, and 11, we see, Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, these were the sons of Aaron, and seventy of the elders of Israel. Verse 10, And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, paved work of a sapphire stone, as it were the body of heaven in his clearness. Verse 11, And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand, also they saw God and did eat and drink. That's interesting, because how can we have verses that say no one has seen God, and yet these verses say that, uh, that they saw God, they saw the God of Israel. In 1 Kings 22.19 we have the prophet Micaiah, Micaiah, sorry, talking to King Jehoshaphat, he says, and he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord, Yahweh, I, the prophet Micaiah, saw the Lord, saw Yahweh sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. Well, the question is, who did they see? How can they see Yahweh if Yahweh says, No one can see me or no one has seen me? Now, let's see if we could clarify them with some other verses on this subject. Um, in the prologue of the Gospel of John, the prologue is, is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Now, ending the prologue, verse 18, the Apostle John says, No man hath seen God at any time, as we saw before. But then continuing on the verses is the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, 
he hath declared him. Now, there, there's a, a textual variant there where it says the only begotten son or the monogenes huios. Some manuscripts actually say the monogenes theos or the only unique God calling Jesus Christ God there, but, um, that, that's, uh, for later discussion here. The son who's in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. The word is exegeted him. So he has made him known. He's explained him. So no one has seen God, but they've obviously seen the incarnate son. But did they only see the son in the, uh, incarnate form as he walked the streets of Jerusalem, as he lived between 82 and 83, or 2 B.C. and A.D. 33? Well, let's continue on. Jesus himself said in John chapter 6 and verse 46, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. So, we see we see here like what would be called progressive revelation we're told that no one has seen god but then jesus christ is explaining here he says not that any man hath seen the father save he which is of god he's talking about himself the son he hath seen the father now if the son were just a man and that no man has seen the father then how can the son as a mere man have seen the father so this verse in and of itself shows that jesus christ is not just a man he's obviously a man here walking on the earth but he is the god man he's the incarnate one in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, All things are delivered unto me, this is the Son speaking, they are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. But wait a minute, didn't people know Jesus Christ on the earth? Didn't they have a personal relationship with him? Well, I think he's talking about knowing in a more... uh intimate sense of knowing really who he is in his fullness and at this time i don't think anyone understood that to uh, of course not to the level of god the father knowing the son he says no man knoweth the son but the father neither knoweth any man the father save the son and he to whom the son will reveal him so no one knows the Father except the Son. Now, of course, didn't people know God in the Old Testament? Well, of course they knew him in whatever way that God needed for them to know him, but they didn't know him in the way that the Son knows the Father, in a, in a way that, just as Jesus said that he has seen the Father, he knows uh, the being of the Father, he knows the Father in a way that no one can know by seeing him. In John chapter 10 and verse 15, Jesus, uh, talking about himself as the good shepherd, he says, As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So the Father knows the Son. Of course, the Father knows everyone that he created. But as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. So how can the Son know the Father in the same way that the Father knows the Son, unless the Son is, you know, divine, that he's God? Because if in the same way that God knows someone, that someone knows God, how can that be unless the Son and the Father? Father are both God, but we'll get into that later on, but 
you know, as the son knows the father in a certain way, uh, the father knows the son. Now, in 1 John 5.20, we read, And we know that the Son of God is come, and he hath, and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is the same writer who said that Jesus, the Son, who's in the bosom of the Father, has exegeted or declared him. This is along the same vein. He says that we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. So we understand God the Father, we understand God by the manifestation of the person of the Son. That is how we understand God. So then how did people in the Old Testament understand God? How did they see God? The question is, who did they see? No one has seen the Father but they have seen the Son. Only the Son knows the Father and has seen the Father, as we saw. The Son is the one who has exegeted the Father and made him known. So I would like to, to argue that when the people saw Yahweh, they saw the Son in a, in a way that, uh, the Son, not the, not the incarnate way, not the way he was on the earth, but the person that they saw when they saw Yahweh, when they saw the God of Israel, was that they saw the Son. Now, when Yahweh says that no one can see me, I think that Yahweh is speaking in terms of the person of the Father, and that was how people understood God before the revelation of the incarnation in the New Testament between the the beginning of the New Covenant, the end of the Old Covenant. You have... Uh, I believe what I'd call progressive revelation, that um, people understood God in kind of a Unitarian sense, not that they were wrong, but they understood God as Father of creation. But they didn't understand the concept that the Son was also God and that this would be progressively revealed. Well, now it is time to take a break. More Truth Hub when we get back. Stay with us. Cell phone companies throttling your bandwidth? Yeah, dude. I can't play my online multiplayer 3D universe of Battlecraft in the go because my cell phone provider slows it down to a 3.5 frames per second crawl. It's like totally bummer. Do they cap you down to gigabits that you can count with your fingers? I like to watch live streaming videos of my dog, Precious, when I'm away from home. Just to be sure he's okay when mommy's not around. But my fascist phone company makes me pay through the nose each month after the first ten minutes of each month. Doesn't anybody understand a mother's need to care for baby? Then it's time you stand up and take it no more. Now you can. Kitchen Sink Electronics presents you the new WaveSave phone. It's the first and only cellular smartphone and service powered entirely by microwaves. Wow. Yes, microwaves provide speeds and bandwidth up to 1,000 times the cellular signal in the big cities. And microwaves are 80% cheaper to produce, too. Cool! Why didn't my cell phone company think of that? I'm gonna switch today! 
And unlike other smartphones, you can download and install a microwave app from the Kitchen Sink App Store that can really cook your food right from your phone. Yes, iPhone fans, there is an app for that, but not for your piece of cultic technology. Sorry, Kitchen Sink, I'm sticking with my iPhone. Unless Apple supplies a cover for the wave safe that has the trademark half-eaten apple on the front. Well, suit yourself, snobby little fanboy. Those of us who call ourselves humans are ready for the 21st century technology. Other cool apps for the WaveSave include a blowtorch, a quick skin tanning lamp, and a taser simulator. Microwave heat is adjusted appropriately for each app. I was getting sick of lame apps and poor reception for my so-called smartphone when I got the WaveSave phone from Kitchen Sink. I could download 50 full-length feature films in just 30 seconds. By then, my phone was hot enough that I could use the ironing app to get the wrinkles out of my work clothes. Kitchen Sink is the bomb. Please use the Kitchen Sink WaveSave smartphone responsibly. Your phone can get red hot after significant use. You may also notice the air temperature climb steadily if used indoors. Do not use the WaveSafe smartphone if you or anyone else within a mile radius is pregnant, smokes, is putting gasoline in a vehicle, or is using any flammable product. The Kitchen Sink WaveSafe smartphone may be subject to stringent use restrictions by your local municipality. Consult your doctor and lawyer before purchase or use. Severe radioactivity, leukemia, brain cancer, or death can occur if the WaveSafe phone is not used carefully. Recommended use no more than 30 seconds in an 8-hour period by a maximum of 5 responsible users in a 20-mile radius. The high-speed, maximum-efficiency, microwave-enabled kitchen sink wave-save smartphone. Take charge of your bandwidth. Available today for $999.95. Goodbye, darling. Hello, wave-save. May not be available in all 50 states. Kitchen sink cannot be held liable for injury, illness, or death resulting from excessive use of microwaves. The WaveSafe smartphone is pending ban in 115 major cities. No CODs, not refundable, batteries not included. Coming soon to Hill Valley Community Church, it's the debate Christendom has been waiting for. A radical dispensationalist, covenantalist, and preterist will tell you how everyone is wrong. My two opponents want to believe that things pretty much stay the same now, but I believe the Bible teaches clearly that things change every day. There is a new dispensation every day. Lamentations 3.23 says that God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning. If they're new this morning, that means they're different from His mercies yesterday morning and the morning before that. Just another proof that every day is a new dispensation. My two opponents want to say that God has changed his dealings with humanity over time. Whether they think that things are still changing or that they have stopped changing is immaterial. The word of God teaches that we are still in the Garden of Eden, in the one true covenant with God. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.6 that he planted, Apollos watered, and God gives the increase. What is that but gardening language? My two opponents still believe that we are in the first life, not the judgment of the afterlife. They are blinded, as Paul said, that God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. 
But I see dead people. They don't know that they are dead. Do not miss the great theological debate coming soon to Hill Valley Community Church. You are listening to the Truth Hub Podcast with Daniel Minnick. Well, hello and welcome back again to my world, truthhub.org. So let's take a look and ex- look at an example of how you have revelation in the Old Testament of someone seeing God and that this revelation is expounded in the New Testament and it, I believe that it clearly shows without a doubt who is seen clearly proving that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the being of Yahweh. I believe it proves the Trinity beyond a shadow of a doubt. The question, whom did Isaiah see? We look at what we saw previously, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. Now this word here is Adonai, it is not Yahweh, but he's also identified as Yahweh further down. I saw also Adonai sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We'll look in, and see what the Septuagint shows in that uh, when it says his train filled the temple in the Hebrew. Verse 2, above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. So Adonai here is Yahweh. So whoever uh, Isaiah is seeing is identified by these seraphim, these angels, as Yahweh. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, the word glory is very important here, as we're going to see later on here. Moving down into verse 8, we have uh, Isaiah said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, it's interesting that he says, I send and who will I go for us? Now, of course, it could be debated that the us there is God and the angels, but maybe it could be talking about the three persons of the Trinity veiled and not progressively revealed yet. But um, I'll leave that for debate. I'm not going to be dogmatic on that, but that it's pretty interesting that he says, and who will go for us? Then then said I, here am I, send me. But now God is going to tell Isaiah what his uh, preaching ministry is going to look like. And I wonder how many preachers today, if God were to tell them, this is what your ministry is going to be like. I'm going to call you to preach to people and this is what is going to happen. How many of them would drop out? <laughs> but he says, God said, Go and tell this people, Hear you, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. 
Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So he's basically telling Isaiah, you're going to go out, and you're going to preach the word as I command you, but people are not going to respond. So have at it, have fun. <laughs> but, you know, so how many preachers today would, would love that kind of ministry, especially in this modern numbers-driven, results-driven, entertainment-seeking preaching ministry in seeker-sensitive churches? Uh, I don't see the compatibility there, but I digress. So here in Isaiah chapter 6, we see what is called the temple vision, and Isaiah sees Yahweh, and he sees his glory. And then he tells them, go and and tell these people they're going to see and not understand. They're going to they're hear and not really hear. So then in John chapter 12, we have an account here. Jesus performed miracles. So John chapter 12, starting in verse 37, the writer says, But though he, Jesus, had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed a report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now this that references and is the messianic uh, chapter of Isaiah, chapter 53, that is uh, where uh, the Messiah is proclaimed and he's going to suffer and he's going to die. But continuing on here, verse 39, Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. That's clearly a reference to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Um, so that, so he's referencing what Isaiah said in the temple vision. Um, okay, so continuing on in John chapter 12 and verse 41. These things said Isaiah, when he saw his glory and spake of him. Now, the, this word for of him is auto in the Greek. It's clearly referencing back to the his glory there. It is clear that when he says he saw his glory and spake of him, the one who is spoken of is the one whose glory is seen. It's grammatically necessary in, in the Greek there. Verse twenty, verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. It is grammatically linked. The one who's, of whom his glory is seen, the one that Isaiah spoke of, is the one that the chief rulers at the time believed on. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. And then continuing on in, in chapter 12 and verse 40, uh, 43, uh, or verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. So to believe on Jesus is to believe on the Father. And verse 45, He that hath seen me seeth him that sent me. Now isn't that interesting? So you, you don't really see the Father, but you can see the Father by seeing the one who is sent. And uh, as we look at what Isaiah said, what John said that Isaiah said, uh, let's examine uh, 
a little bit of Greek here. Now, a little, a little Greek is a dangerous thing, and by no means do I claim to be an expert on the Greek language, but I can look at uh, lexical tools, and I, I, I try as much as I can not to take things too far. So, and I stand on the sol- the shoulders of giants here. So, uh, take it up with the the ones I get this from, but. The New Testament writers quoted the Septuagint as the Word of God, as their Bible, as their Old Testament to prove their point. They wrote in Greek. They uh, re- they quoted from the Greek Septuagint. Sometimes the the Septuagint, you know, isn't quite the same as the the Hebrew text. The you know our English Bibles translate uh, the Old Testament from. The Hebrew uh, Masoretic text mostly, and then they translate the the New Testament from the Greek manuscripts that we have, and then the group. But the the writers in the the Greek manuscripts they actually reference the Greek translation of the Hebrew, which is called the Septuagint. And we'll see some some very interesting things here. Um, so looking at John 12:41 that we saw before we're going to look at the words when he saw his glory in the greek this is this is hoti ipenten doxin autu literally rendered as much as we can literally render in the english when he saw the glory of him the auto is what is in what is called the genitive case so uh we compare the the greek words here even in the same uh grammatical sense when he isaiah saw it's uh saul is ipen it's the third person he saw referring to isaiah Tendoxin, Tendoxin, the glory auto of him. So looking back at Isaiah 6, 1, if we remember what we read there, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. And it says that his train filled the temple. In verse 3, we see it says the, that the, the angel says that the whole earth is full of his glory. So, um, here we see that Isaiah saw Yahweh. He saw his glory, because the angel said the earth is full of his glory. But that's not um, even the whole picture here, especially if we understand that John was quoting the Septuagint. And what does the Septuagint do with Isaiah 6.1? The case for Isaiah seeing the glory, seeing Yahweh, and seeing his glory is even stronger than taking both verses 1 and 3 here. Because as we look at the Septuagint rendering of uh, Isaiah 6, 1, in the Septuagint, we read that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord Adonai sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and then it says, and the house was full of his glory. Looking at the Greek at the Septuagint, where uh, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, it's Idon ton kurion, so Idon, I saw, comparing that with um, Ipen, uh, in the Greek of John twelve forty one, he's saying, I saw, and then we look at, and the, and in the Septuagint, instead of saying that um, his train filled the temple or the temple was full of his train, it says, and the house was full of his glory. 
In the Greek, it says, Kai pleres ha oikos tes doxes autu. Literally, as much as possible in English, it says, and was full the house, or the house was full of the glory of him. And remember that, um, in the Greek, in John 12:41, it says, when he saw the glory, when he saw his glory, it's actually when he saw the glory of him. So, uh, in the, so John is quoting from the Septuagint rendering of Isaiah 6 1, where he says, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord and the house was full of his glory. So, when he says, when he makes reference to, uh, Isaiah 6 9 through 10 about the people hearing or understand, seeing and not understanding or perceiving their ears do not hear, He's talking about the temple vision. So when did Isaiah see the glory of Yahweh? According to John, he saw the glory of Yah. He saw the glory of Jesus when, in the temple vision, he saw the glory of Yahweh. So as uh, this uh, information actually comes from Doctor James White, and as Doctor James White often explains, he'll say. Isaiah, who did you see? And Isaiah will say, well, I saw Yahweh. But if you were to ask the Apostle John, who did Isaiah see? And the Apostle John would say, well, Isaiah saw Jesus. So that's interesting. So we see that direct link between uh, Jesus Christ and um, Yahweh. So, it makes perfect sense. If we're going to reconcile verses that say that no one has seen God at any time, as John one eighteen says, but also that the Son, the, the unique God, the unique Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared or exegeted Him, and we see different verses saying that people did see Yahweh, how do we reconcile them without the Trinity? Without the Son as exegeting the Father without Je- as Jesus Christ himself said, no one has seen the Father, but they've seen me. And he said, he that sees me has seen the Father. Not that Jesus is the Father, not to embrace the heir of the modalists or the oneness Pentecostals. Jesus is not the Father, but the Father and Jesus are both, they both share the one being of Yahweh. So to see Jesus Christ is to see the Father as the Father is made known in the Son. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Look for the next episode of the Truth Hub podcast as we look at uh, verses clearly showing that Jesus Christ is divine, that he is God, that that the Old Testament uh, proclaims and the New Testament explains. Stay tuned. enjoyed this episode of the truth hub podcast look for more episodes to strengthen your faith as we continue to view the world through the word right here at truthhub.org